This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this very special episode, I bring back one of my earlier ones with Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff and I have a fantastic conversation about his upbringing, journey into theater, his thoughts and philosophies on performing, and so much more. So, I hope you enjoy this part one, re-air, with Jonathan Groff. We are back, and today with me is Jonathan Groff. Hello, hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for spending some time with me in this whirlwind of a trip. Of course. You're having here in New York. Yeah, my pleasure. Before you head back to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. To continue filming. Yeah. Mindhunter. Mindhunter season two. We're shooting episodes one and two right now, and we flew in Saturday morning. We actually shot until 5.30 a.m., Saturday morning slash Friday night. Oh, geez. And then flew in and we get to do uh, press this weekend for the show. It was really fun. Oh, my goodness. That's that's crazy. I mean, well, we were talking a little bit about it before we started the the rehearsal, the filming process. Yeah. And how quick it is, but not quick. There's not a lot of sitting around, but you get a lot done. Yeah. You can leave and come back. Yeah. It's insane. It's so different than theater. It's so different than theater. Yeah. Are you enjoying it more? Or is there really no... It's just different. It's so different, yeah. I mean, this job is kind of like theater. In, it's unique in that the scenes that we do on the show are... A lot of them are 12, 10, 12-page 12 scenes. The big kind of centerpiece scenes of the show, the interview scenes or the big conversation scenes. And so it is kind of like theater because I feel when we do the takes that I lose myself in the... I've, I've become less aware of the cameras and stuff when you're doing such a long scene yeah. and it feels it feels like a scene written by a playwright kind of because they're so mm-hmm. long and psychological and complicated so in some ways this job does feel like theater Dave, David Finch is yeah, your David director Fincher, yeah. I had read an interview that you had I don't remember through what or how but it was talking about how he really pulls out the acting mm-hmm. he notices what someone's like personal tics are yes to accentuate them or remove them uh, I guess I guess depends, but in most cases removes because he he his style um, is very. Uh, for example, all of the chairs have to be the same height, and everything's very organized and contained, huh. and um, little movements. Every movement or everything that happens is very intentional in his yeah. work. My friend was going in to audition for the show and he asked if I had any pointers. And I said, and this is sort of across the board for all the actors that go in for David. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, don't move your forehead. Don't blink. Don't go up at the ends of your sentences. So don't go up, like I just did, don't go up at the ends of your sentences. Yeah. You know, like that, that yeah. like a valley girl, like I do all the time when I talk, and I'll probably do all throughout this interview. <laughs> a lot of questions. Yeah, don't go up at the end, yeah. And then uh, don't musicalize the writing. So don't make it flowery, don't put a lot of breaks in it, don't segment it, but just be very direct and specific. Yeah. And so that's David's kind of, that's David's style. And so the thing with me was I smile a lot in my real life. That's my kind of one of my tics that I do Mm. and when I first met with David about the character he was saying that the character is charmless and doesn't have enough sense of self to be 
uh, engaging in the way that actors are engaging with people and kind of needy and wanting people to love them. Yeah. This character is not like that. And so he said, we have to get rid of you smiling all the time. You can't smile. <clears throat> and I didn't even, I didn't realize how often I smile in my life. And it was the one thing that he kind of zeroed in on me. And it was this running thing. This was kind of running joke, but also a serious thing yeah. where it completely transformed the way that I, the way that I acted. Even yeah. in scenes with my girlfriend, the idea of doing a love scene or a, a sort of meet cute scene and not smiling was a challenge to me. You know, when you're flirting with someone, yeah. not I'm being able to, to think, smile. Yeah, I'm trying to think how that would play out in my yeah. mind. <laughs> but that, it really, it really in, a, in a direct way, taught me so much about the character that even in a scene where he's hitting on this girl, he's not, he's not, smi- he's not huh. charming in that way that we normally think people what, would be. Yeah. Yeah. What is he, what is his, what has David's like directing techniques taught you? in working like on a scene are there any like yeah yeah I, I would say the biggest thing is it's really essential for the story and the character and the words of a scene to be very clear in regards to what they're about and what you're dramatizing okay. and the job of the actor in his world and hopefully in anything that's really well written is simply to deliver that. And sometimes as actors, I enjoy making a meal out of something. Uh, but I guess, I guess the short answer is at the end of the day, it's for the audience. And at the end of the day, we're telling yeah. a story for an audience and the most simple, direct and un- uncomplicated way we can deliver that story to the audience the best and yeah. not uncomplicated in that we're not telling complicated stories or 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 expressing complicated thoughts but that what 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 we're uh expressing and how we're expressing it is very clear yeah no that makes sense to me yeah i was gonna talk about mindhunter a little bit later but since we're on it i'm yeah. just gonna ask these questions okay now. great what have you learned about human behavior from playing Holden Ford in Mindhunter. Well, I learned a lot about my own human behavior in, <laughs> in that, that I, yeah, in that I, in that I smile, try to smile less in my real life, yeah. and I, and I try to go. I've I learned in the in the going up at the ends of the sentences how much we are asking for permission and how much we're asking how needy I am. I should not say you. I should say I. How needy I am in real life. <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> in mean, wanting people to understand what I'm talking about, you know, yeah. doing that kind of thing. Uh, so I try to do that less. Um, and then human behavior, I would, as far as the serial killers and stuff, um, Is I just was not, a, I was not a true crime fan going into this. I didn't know a lot about serial killers going into this. So just sort of yeah. the kind of classifications and labels and dissecting of you know disorganized versus organized and spree killers and the different kind of basic knowledge of serial killers was new for me and then sitting and listening to i mean because we do with david a lot of takes and we do scenes many times and sitting in these scenes and listening to these killers talk about their motivations is just so fascinating and and, (laughs) lightly put (laughs) yeah and the and the 
I mean, the, the, just sort of we learned a lot. I, I personally learned a lot about how they, a lot of them come from broken homes and a lot yeah. of them have complicated relationships with their mothers. And yeah. uh, nine times out of ten, they're white males and all the stuff that I just didn't know before huh. I learned through doing the show. And it's all the stuff that you kind of see in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when, real quick plug, when yeah. does the second season I don't know. come out? We don't know yet. Yeah, sometime in 2019 okay. because cool. we're shooting it through this year Great. so i can't imagine that it would come out before yeah because with netflix so it all has to come out at the same time so it wouldn't yes, come it out does. before december yeah yeah all right so we're gonna do a little jumping around here i want to go back to uh the beginning for you a little bit mm-hmm. what was the first show you were in growing up i was in uh i don't know if this counts but i was dorothy and the wizard of oz that counts in my dad's barn with my brother and our friends we put on a production of the wizard of oz how old were you i was four. Oh my god was it your idea or was it it was, I definitely, when I watch the video back, it, I definitely am helping people through their parts, and I know everybody's lines, but I, but I can't tell, I, my, my brother was technically the director, so it would, could have been a collaboration. Uh-huh. I would have never also been able to do it, because it's my older brother, if he was not behind it. Yeah. So I'm sure he probably orchestrated it in some way, but maybe I pitched the idea? I don't remember yeah. the incarnation. Huh. What were the... Are there any standout values that your parents taught you growing up? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, Hard work is the first one that comes to mind. Um, Both my parents are really disciplined and they made me, you know, mow my grandmother's lawn and my dad trains and raises horses for a living and I would have to come over on... Saturday, Saturdays once I was in high school and shovel horse poop out of the out of the stalls and stuff and I remember thinking anything is better than this yeah <laughs> you're like anything. yeah so just having those moments of having those moments of just kind of discipline and having to do work that you don't want to do but you have to do it anyway yeah I think is good in character building and my parents are also they're just great people um and they they the other thing they did for me that was really great and i think really unique and and great parenting is that they are jocks and my mom is a gym teacher and my they both played basketball in high school and but they my brother and i are not jocks and they really supported us and allowed us to do what we wanted and instinctually my mom you know this is kind of before oprah you know in the early 80s my mom let me dress up as dorothy in drag you know when i was four and and let us play and kind of be free and express ourselves and and uh drove me to play practice do you think there was ever a thought in her mind or it was just like that's just who she is i think it's who she is she just kind of really wanted to be a mom she really wanted to have kids Mm. and but she never did that thing where at least as far as my career or my imagination was concerned she never did that thing where she put expectation on me of oh no i don't want you to do theater i want you to i want you to do Sports, so I'm gonna right. force you right. into soccer practice, even though you don't really want to, because it's what I want for you, mm. which I think we see a lot in parenting. Yeah, and she's also there. Also, both my parents are very kind of. They don't take things too seriously. 
there. That's the good. That's the balance in life. Not taking things too seriously, but being disciplined. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's exactly. Because that's the. Because and I've heard this phrase a bunch of times. Discipline equals freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you totally. Ever, totally. I just read this book, um, "The Creative Habit" by Twyla Tharp, which is an amazing book. I'm writing that one down. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and she talks. She, you know, talks about how she wakes up every morning and has this. Rit- she talks about rituals. One of the parts of her book, and how powerful rituals are, and how rituals can unlock creativity, and how discipline, especially because she comes from the dance world, yeah. um, unlocks creativity. And in the course of the book, she talks about Mozart and all these different peoples throughout history, all these different artists' creative processes, and how discipline, how hard work and discipline is actually what what allows people to express talent and creativity Mm. and how yes of course sometimes someone out of the gate comes out with something that's amazing that was just an instinctual moment of self-expression whether it's a musician or a playwright or an actor or a director or whatever Mm. but you need discipline and you need that Anyone who's succeeded has had discipline. Yeah. You know, there's that, 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 you know, it's whatever, or even like, even Barbara Streisand, who's, you know, never had a voice lesson and can just like sing like amazingly. She did so many things other than singing. You know, she's so disciplined and so passionate and such a perfectionist. I noticed that a lot of people at the top of their game are very, very disciplined. Mm -hmm. There's that real, like, even, even like, and and we'll get to this of course we're going to talk about hamilton for a second yeah but even i just keep thinking about like lynn writing all of that i mean that doesn't happen overnight totally that takes hard work dedication totally and discipline absolutely when did you decide to go into theater like professionally or really follow it like i did i did so i did the wizard of oz and then i (laughs) took a break i took a long leave of absence uh and then i did uh I did plays in middle school, one in seventh grade where I was in the ensemble, and then in eighth grade where I had a lead part. Yeah. And my eighth grade drama teacher, Mrs. Fisher, Sue Fisher, shout out to Sue Fisher, she pulled shout me aside out. after a rehearsal and said, um, you should really think about pursuing this as a career because I think you have what it takes to make it. And I had never thought oh. about it as a career, honestly, until that point. Yeah. And... There's this great theater in Lancaster called the Fulton Opera House that's an equity theater. Yeah. And uh, they were not equity at the time, actually. They became equity while I was working there in high school. And they were doing a production of Peter Pan uh, a couple of months after Sue had told me to pursue it. And I went to that audition and, and ended up doing that. And then through that, kind of met actors that were from New York. It was such, I mean, I would not, I moved to New York when I was 19 and I don't know if I would have done that if I had not met these actors at the Fulton Opera House who were from New York and I could talk to them and ask them questions because Lancaster is, you know, a, it's a two and a half hours from New York, but it's yeah. a, it's a farming town. It's a different basically. town. It's yeah. a different. It's a completely different it's thing. Completely different. And I learned so much from these actors and I, and then I worked at this community theater called the Effort to Playhouse in, also in Pennsylvania. And so it was high school theater and those two theaters in my hometown that inspired me to move to New York. What was the advice that you were getting from people at the Fulton Opera House in terms of, were you asking like, should I go to New York? Should I go to New York? Or should yeah. I do this as a... I was asking them, I was asking them, you know, how they live in New York, how they go to auditions. I learned about Backstage Magazine mm-hmm. and then subscribed to it mm-hmm. after talking to those actors. And then as far as the performing of it all and the 
the the learning how to act aspect of it i watched that was my thing that's still my thing uh, is watching and stealing <laughs> hey, <laughs> watching and know. stealing so yeah. i would i was in the ensemble of a lot of the shows in at the fulton and i would sit in the wings and i would watch i would sit in the wings in rehearsal and i would sit in the wings during the show and i would just watch people work and i was a sponge and i would kind of just soak it up I would just soak everything up. Even in, we did a production of the Pirates of Penzance. Okay. And I was a cop, so I was only in the second act. And every day, I would go up to the galley, the uh, way above in the way above the uh, mezzanine, and I would watch the show every single day. And I would notice the subtle changes or the lack of subtle changes, you know. Uh. And I would and I would pick up things along the way, and I learned so much from watching, and I still do. Yeah. And it's the c- sort of one of the great things about Mindhunter, I think of it so much, is that I get to watch and really listen to all of these great actors that we interview that come in and play the serial killers or the guest stars. A lot of the job for me on Mindhunter is sitting and listening and watching how people work is so fascinating, especially people that come in for a couple of days on a set, just how they behave and how they are prepared or how they are not prepared, how they work with David, how David responds to them. It's just really interesting. I love it. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's really great. Are there common themes among like the people you the like top performers that you work with even yes, across all mediums absolutely coming in off book is essential no. uh it's it's a weird as again it's a balance of discipline and freedom where being completely prepared and then showing up ready for anything to happen and ready to play Just yes exactly chill. that yeah. is the thing that it's the people that come in really prepared with specific ideas of what they want to do and they're un- unmovable those people it does not work out well for them Mm. but the people that come in prepared with ideas but then are ready at the drop of the hat to change that idea and do something completely different yeah those are the ones that really succeed wow when you auditioned for correct me if i'm wrong because i got a lot of this from the internet um you were in the sound of music yeah and which kept you from going to college yeah you decided not to go to college because of the sound of music exactly was were you auditioning for both those things at the same time was it like a whole bunch of you're just like shows it's so funny you say say this because it actually has all come full circle this year as of three weeks ago because i i auditioned for colleges and got accepted to carnegie mellon for musical theater and also via backstage which i had learned about from um, the working at the Fulton yeah. went on this audition for, I came to New York for a week and I auditioned for thoroughly modern Millie there for Broadway replacements and the national tour. Cause that was my favorite show. Yeah. And I met Rob Ashford and that was really exciting. And then I got cut from that. <laughs> and then I also auditioned for this non-equity, went to an open call for this non-equity tour of the sound of music. Yeah. And I told my friends at the time and my mom, you know, I want to go to New York and audition to practice for my college auditions, which I don't know if I was just saying that or if there was this instinctual part of me that knew I wasn't ready to go to college yet and knew that I wanted to just start doing it. Yeah. I don't know what that was about, but I did go to New York and audition for these things while I was auditioning for colleges. And so I ended up getting accepted to Carnegie Mellon and then getting this sound of music tour. And I went to Carnegie Mellon to visit, to sort of talk to the faculty about what I should do. Yeah. And they were kind of saying, you know, tour would be great, but you should really, you know, come here and train and whatever. 
but I just wanted to perform and mm. I and I learned so much from doing the and I, there was a bunch of factors that went into play one I was kind of excited to go on the road and see the country at 18 and yeah. you know do a bus and truck tour and like have a experience away from home and whatever um i also caught college i think carnegie mellon was forty thousand dollars at that time i think it's now sixty thousand dollars a year and so the idea of making some money seemed like a good idea instead of paying forty thousand dollars a year uh and so i decided to go on tour and the voice teacher at carnegie mellon gary klein was kind of my point person that I talked to a lot he I really bonded with him during the audition process mm. and we kind of talked it through and he sort of gave me his blessing and I decided to defer my admission for a year and go on tour yeah. and then come back in the fall okay and so I went on tour and it was a non-union tour I ended up making in total ten thousand dollars on the whole year that I was on tour yeah. and I went okay ten thousand dollars into forty thousand dollars Still seems insane to me after being on the road for a year. And what if I, and then I was thinking, what if I, what if I moved, what if I had spent four years at college and I moved to New York and I hate it yeah. and I've just spent all this money preparing and I hate New York. Yeah. And so I decided to take my $10,000 and not go to Carnegie Mellon and moved to New York instead. And so I moved to 51st between 8th and 9th with a girl that I met from the Fulton Opera House no and got a job waiting tables with nothing. It was kind of a risky move because I, no, I had no net. Right. Um, but I, I just felt in my gut that I wanted to move to New York. Were you nervous? Or did it feel completely like you're like, this is right? It felt so right. I wasn't yeah. nervous at all. I was, I was only 19, but I, I had also, when the tour had closed... Uh, we in May of 2004. Yeah, I went back home to my hometown and I taught at a theater camp for the summer. And then I did a community theater production of Bat Boy in September and October, oh. right before I moved to New York. And that production of Bat Boy was so, I felt like such a star <laughs> doing <laughs> Bat Boy in the community theater, and it gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. Doing playing that role was so fun and exciting, and it's such a great part. And I was really feeling myself. <laughs> why? Doing, yeah, doing. Do, why? Yeah, just because. Because it, it's uh, it's kind of it's just such an awesome part, and I, and I, and such a physical part, and I didn't know if I could sing the role before I went into it, and it was really pushed me in all the best ways. And sometimes you'll do a sometimes doing a doing a show can change the way you feel about yourself i mean it's so crazy but that was yeah yeah that was an experience i had where doing bat boy really made me feel like a rock star i mean it, it yeah. quickly went away two months <laughs> later when i was getting rejected at every audition oh, at, no, in new yeah. york do you know what i mean it's, yeah, i do, I as, do. As, as much as something can build you up it's just, it's it's, yeah. it's so easy to then get taken down of it but i but when i moved to new york i i was coming off of bad boy community theater and feeling of buzz all the hair off my head and i was feeling yes. like a rock star and so when i moved to new york i kind of felt like i had that confidence that brazen confidence of a 19 year old mm. going yeah i did this tour and i played bad boy and now here i am new york like mm. get ready for it and yeah. then spent a year of auditioning and not getting anything and the confidence slowly starts to get sucked away and then and then i learned kind of how to how to maintain creative excitement while while doing the 
demoralizing thing of going to three auditions in a day and then working and working yeah and then waiting tables yeah although i do have to say the waiting my dad said i've never been more excited on the phone than when i got my waiting tables job really yeah because i just felt like i walked into this restaurant i lied i had no experience waiting tables it was the first place i walked into they hired me Mm. and i just felt like such a new yorker i just felt that i was living the dream oh my god i'm living in new york and I'm waiting tables and I'm trying to be an actor. This is what it's all about. I was so excited. Yeah. I just played bad boy at the community theater. Do you know what I mean? I'm on fire right now. <laughs> I am living the New York yeah. City life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your Was your Broadway debut My Life? In My Life. Yeah, In my is life. what it's called. Yeah. And you were the swing and understudy of the lead. Yeah, yeah. What? Okay, so I'm so curious about this. Before we work our way to the recent, more recent stuff, what did you learn about being an understudy and a swing, and how did that translate into like playing leading roles? Oof, yeah, it it's was a big question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I mean, put you that didn't out ask there. me my yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Um, I was really excited because it was Broadway, and and also because. I knew that it was, it just felt so right because I'm such a watch, learn by watching had always been my thing. Yeah. And I'd always like, like at the Fulton, I was always watching. And then after three years of watching, I started playing roles in the other theater. The effort to playhouse was giving me parts and I was playing roles, but after years of watching. And so it felt so right that, from the, my first experience on Broadway, I got to watch and kind of be a fly on the wall. And uh, and so being an understudy, I understudied Christopher Hanke, and it was so, and I was also the dance captain. Yes, you were. And so I really, yeah, <laughs> not because I'm a great dancer necessarily, but because it's, you know, there has to be a dance captain, even if it's not a dance show for any Broadway show. Right. But so I had then had to learn everybody's blocking and write it down. So I was not only watching the acting, but I was watching the blocking and learning about the lighting and learning about where people stand on. It was just the most amazing learning experience where people stand in numbers on the stage and mm. how blocking changes and all of that stuff was technically just amazing to kind of be forced to learn that because you have to write it all down in a giant book yeah. as the dance captain. So that was a great learning experience. And then also, the show was so hated and so made fun of and so um, sort of spat on by the community that also learned, and these actors who were so talented had to go to the theater every night knowing that, that everyone was making a joke out of what they were doing and watching how they kind of rallied and made the most of it and did it despite the bad energy around them was mm. also a learning lesson yeah. in that when I went and did spring awakening, it was like the opposite where or it was the opposite where we were getting all this praise, but we still had to go and do the show as though we weren't getting that praise. You know, we still had to go and just do the show the way that we knew how to do it. It was weirdly similar that the, yeah. the cast of in my life had to do the show despite the bad press and the cast of spring awakening had to go do the show despite the good press was that a company conversation where they're like listen this is a big hit but we can't go out there and perform in it like it's a big hit we have to tell the story michael never, that, just, that was a that was a conversation during hamilton that that tommy kale gave to the cast but it was different with michael mayer 
Because Hamilton was was a blockbuster from from before we it even started, <laughs> but with Spring yeah. Awakening, it was a different thing where we 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 couldn't sell half the house during previews on Broadway, and when we moved into the theater, and I went into my dressing room, and Michael Mayer came into the dressing room and said. <clears throat> wow, here we are. And I said, my God, I don't know how I'm going to decorate my dressing room. And he said, well, I wouldn't decorate it because I don't know if we're going to be here that long. And oh. it wasn't until, and and we and some nights during previews, our stage manager would come over the mic and say, okay, you guys, so you're going to see a lot of velvet in the audi- velvet seats. It's purple velvet seats yeah. or the, in the theater at the Eugene Arno. You're going to see a lot of velvet tonight, but just know that there are 500 people in the audience, which is twice the amount of people that we had off Broadway at the Atlantic. So just think of it as double the size of what we did. off. I mean, we were like, Oh, sh- this is not going to, we're not going to last. Uh. And then we got a great New York times review, <clears throat> which allowed us to go until, March and then it all dropped off again and then the Tonys happened and then we were fine yeah. but it, it didn't for us that this we were always it was a real surprise the success of the show and the Tonys we couldn't believe that we won eight Tony Awards it was all a complete yeah. surprise for us so there was never then once the Tonys happened we were like what is all, all these people are so um, into the show, but six months ago we couldn't sell the show. So it was easy for us to do the show and not feel like we got big heads about it because it was such a struggle for such a long time to find an audience. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.